<laughs> it's pretty relaxed. Um, thank you all uh, for being here. Um, I'd like to introduce uh, Alessandra Rengo, uh, who's our first speaker for the afternoon. Uh, Alessandra Rengo is Associate Professor of Movement Image Studies at Georgia State University and also coordinator of Liquid Blackness, a research project on blackness and aesthetics that organizes public conversations around art and also publishes a peer-reviewed journal. Um, Alessandra's work focuses on blackness in the visual and aesthetic fields, and her essays on contemporary African art, black cinema and visual culture, and race and capital have appeared in publications including Camera Obscura, Discourse, The World Picture Journal, and several anthologies, including the award-winning LA Rebellion, Creating a New Black Cinema. She's the author of books including On the Sleeve of the Visual, Race as Face Culture, as, as Face Value, and is currently working on a book project tentatively, tentatively titled Black Liquidity, Expansiveness and Entanglement in Contemporary Art. Um, she, joins us, uh, she joins us to explore the scope and practice of liquid blackness through a reading of Killer Joseph's work. Um, and before we begin, I just uh, want to say uh, thank you to our sponsor, Christie's Education, who are sponsoring all of our talks. And to say thank you to Alessandra Regno uh, for being in London this afternoon to, uh, to talk to us. Thank you very much. Thank you all for being here. Thank you, Echo, for uh, inviting me. It's, it's an indescribable honor, truly. Uh, the entire group is uh, cheering for me from Atlanta, Georgia, right now. So I have to do well or else I'll hear about it. Um, and I also want to thank Olivia Peterson for uh, helping with logistics and Khalil Joseph for allowing me to show a couple of his works. So we're going to see one ent entirely and uh, clips from another. Uh, my understanding of Echo's reasons for asking to present uh, in this context have to do primarily with three things. A curiosity about the genesis, the work, and the methods of the group. This will be the topic of the first part of my talk an interest in the theoretical shift we're proposing between a black aesthetic and blackness as aesthetics, which I will address in the middle, short middle part of the talk, and then our research projects on the work of Arthur Jaffa and Khalil Joseph. I have decided to focus on Joseph, although, as I will explain, Jaffa was instrumental to our turn to Joseph's work and provides some of the theoretical framing necessary to understand it. To begin, Liquid blackness is a term that describes several things at once. It is the name of a research group at Georgia State University in Atlanta, Georgia, comprising graduate students and alumni of the doctoral program in moving image studies. It is the name of an online scholarly journal, and it is a theoretical concept that seeks to investigate blackness as an aesthetic mode rather than solely a marker of identity. Finally, we deliberately deployed the same term in all of these cases because for us, liquidity also describes a way of doing things. Thus, liquid blackness is not only a methodology for the critical reading of aesthetic objects that emphasizes the political work of form, but is also a type of praxis, a specific approach to intellectual life. Allow me to review all of these parts in greater detail. As a group, liquid blackness began informally, that is, without institutional mandate, and this, I want to be clear about this, in the fall of 2013 to facilitate the hosting of the LA Rebellion, creating a new black American cinema film series. In collaboration with Matthew Bernstein, the chair of the Department of Film and Media Studies at Emory University. We organized a series of teachings and post-screenings conversations to introduce Atlanta audiences to this extraordinary avant-garde output and to recreate some of the community-building function the original films had performed. After the conclusion of the tour, we issued our first online publication to reflect on the material we had just seen. This structure, research project, community event, and publication, continues to this day. As a theoretical concept, the origin of liquid blackness is a bit more complicated. On the one hand, it, is a, it was a way very much inspired by the recognition that in popular culture, 
as Harry Elam has put it in his concluding essay to the anthology Black Cultural Traffic, blackness travels on its own, separate from black people, so much so that it has become increasingly possible to, quote, love black cool and not love black people, unquote. Thus, I began to use the concept of liquid blackness as a classroom prompt to encourage my students to discuss Nick Hooker's 2008 digital video for Grace Jones' song, Corporate Cannibal, and to focus specifically on the relationship between the digitally photographed image of Grace Jones and the mercurial substance featured in the video. For me, and we can play the video now. I'm gonna play without sound, but just so you can see, appreciate a little bit of how the image developed. Can we take the sound off? Thank you. For me, the relationship and the role of, of Richard Wilson 2050, which I'm gonna show in a minute, which inspired the aesthetics of the video, was highly suspect. Although is it possible to regard the video as being in dialogue with the monochrome in abstract painting, the way its digital image aspires to the wet viscosity and movement of an oil spill gestures towards a more problematic mingling of exploitation and affect. It is in these circumstances that I realized that liquid blackness was very apt at describing something that I see as pervasive, but I don't necessarily want to indulge. The way in which in an increasingly cooptable blackness effectively comes to lubricate the everyday racial encounter, or in my fuel, in Sharon Holland's words, the erotic life of racism. Here are some examples. Okay. You know 2050, obviously, which was the inspiration for the video, and these are some other examples of liquid blackness as it circulates in popular culture, usually through the medium of the digital image, which is really important. At the same time, I wondered, okay, we go here. What might become available for artists and intellectuals when blackness so fluidly moves in excess of the black subject? Thus, I generated a list of terms intended to speak equally to scholars, artists, and curators. One of the advantages of thinking of blackness as liquid is the critical act, it's critical exercise to describe it as something always in excess of the categories that are tempted to frame it. They collapse, consider this, liquids don't have an intrinsic shape, but they assume the shape of their container. They collapse distinction between foreground and background, since any vibrant particle can theoretically touch any other particle, and none of them can be conclusively held in place. Liquids are never still, although they might display a perfectly pristine surface. Liquids, just like odor, are distributive and presuppose micro-movements that unfold in unpredictable configurations. Thus, when blackness is seen as liquid, it is also an agent of expansion, a material, social, affective presence, a mercurial force, a repository of critical and existential possibilities. Furthermore, its evocation of materiality Liquidity is open, openly not about the comforts of representation or the illusion of knowing blackness. Finally, liquidity allows us to think about the political stakes of movement, which have a lot to do with black orality and sound, at least in the way Arthur Jaffa has conceptualized it and Khalil Joseph has been practicing in his work. This list appeared on the Liquid Blackness website for the first time in 2013 and served to frame the Symposium on Blackness, Aesthetics and Liquidity uh, we had the following April. In the summer 2015, it was reprinted in the exhibition catalog for Mark Bradford's show, Scorched Earth, created by, curated by Connie Butler at the Hammer Museum in LA. Bradford's so-called social abstraction an art practice so deeply committed to layering processing of found materials, in turn enriches the very concept of liquid blackness. While the concept itself was beginning to achieve recognition, our practice was taking shape through various events. Inspired by the LA Rebellion filmmakers' informal collective practices, in the fall 2014, we decided to focus on the Black Audio Film Collective 
and invited David Lawson and Eddie Chambers to reflect on the radical politics of group efforts and the way the radical aesthetics experimentation with the politics of form. And Eddie's here in the audience, although he's hiding. While the following pro with the following project, a year-long experiment experimental research on one of the most class uh, elusive of the L.A. Rebellion films, Larry Clark's Passing Through. Sorry, I have a problem with light. Um, our methodology was consolidated, and we realized that our improvisational and quasi-collective way of working was very similar in spirit to the subject matter of the film, the arts and politics of the jazz ensemble. Also, more broadly, it was close to what, in their famous work, The Undercommons, Fugitive Planning and Black Study, Stefano Harney and Fred Moten have described as black study, a way of thinking together, a think-along, as we affectionately call it, where people work in an essentially anti-institutional manner. They do not do things for credit, as the university expects us to do, and they're willing to contract a debt to one another that cannot be repaid. In the concrete, this means, for example, that what I've learned from my students, my peers, they were not necessarily my peers because they were my graduate students, is something that I will never be able to pay back. So Christine Juarez, for example, taught me to give myself over to the idea of art and not just film, my background is in film, and to think about what we were doing as a type of curation. Lauren Kramer was doing work on a visual culture of hip hop through architectural theory. She's now my my absolute sounding board, I do nothing about liquid blackness without her. Chip Linscott taught me to uh, study, to commit to the idea of black sound and black sound studies, which I was terrified, and to this day I'm still terrified about. Um, and, and, um, and Michelle Beverly, who was my first advisee at Georgia State University, wrote an absolutely visionary dissertation that was tracing the, the, the proto-post-black sensibility in uh, uh, African-American vi visual culture and cinema, when post-black was not yet even a, the reviled or you know, uh, complicated word that it is right now. So I owe them something that I really will never be able to uh, fully pay back. And this is the type of black study that we continue to practice. For now, though, let's continue to focus on the fact that as a practice, black study, liquidity, describes the willingness to trust the genius of the group and to give ourselves over to what each object of study demands from us. So let me return to Passing Through, a film about jazz, music, jazz musicians struggling against the recording industry to preserve their creative and political freedom. The film is propelled by the improvisatory, freeform logic of free jazz as a way to reflect on the political potential of the jazz ensemble and therefore embodies a liquid aesthetic, an ability to pass through a variety of seemingly incongruous or remote spaces, spaces of artistic production, with spaces of racial oppression, spaces of addiction, and spaces of healing. The film's movement is so radical that it resists one of the primary requirements of close analysis. That is, the possibility to stop a segmented text, and therefore demands new analytical tools that will serve rather than undermine its unstoppable flow. Thus, for our research project, Lauren Kramer unfolded in space one of its more domestic sequences and thus highlighted the passages, which are one of the film's strongest conceptual interventions, indeed where the arts and politics of the jazz ensemble meet in liquid form. This is how we did it. We had a very long screen in a very long space, and so she unfolded the sequence rather than cutting it. It is through this research project that we became inspired by the relationship between the soloist and the group, the part and the whole in the ensemble, which, as Fred Moten argued, lies at the heart of black study. In turn, black sociality is at the core of black music making. This is very important for Khalil Joseph's work and Jaffa's, but for now, the main question is, how might this translate into critical work? First, black study brings to the fore, the fore one primary characteristic of liquidity, the fact that we consider art making, curating, and scholarship as different facets of the same intellectual enterprise. Second, liquidity means that there isn't a set methodology that will work for all our objects, but rather a general commitment to let each object dictate the terms within which it demands to be approached. 
passing through, again, made it clear that we had to research specific artistic lineages. Larry Clark's film led us immediately to Arthur Jaffa, who by his repeated admission is obsessed with the film because it, ha it has offered him a concrete object through which he could test his concept of black visual intonation. The study of black, black image making might aspire to, quote, the beauty and alienation of black music. Or even more specifically, as he has said, and this is another quote, how do we make black images vibrate in accordance with certain frequential values that exist in black music? How can we analyze the tone, not the sequence of notes that Coltrane hit, but the tone itself, and synchronize black visual movement with that?" Unquote. What, if not a form of black liquidity, is Jaffa's desire for this generative ensemble between sound and, and image? Or his increased defense of non-linear non and associative thinking, which he discussed in, as he talked about the idea of free fall. In 2016, therefore, we launched an in-depth study of Jaffa's Dreams Are Colder Than Death, entitled Black Ontology and the Love of Blackness. At the event in Atlanta, Jaffa screened also the video that was to become Love is the Message, the Message is Death. But at the time, it was still untitled and ahead of its premiere at Gavin Brown Enterprise in Harlem the following January. At this point, we became interested in following a growing aesthetic mode in artistic practices that not only pursue such a radical investigation of movement in relationship to sound, but also move themselves fluidly between a number of visual forms and aesthetic venues, including filmmaking, music video, and installation art. Thus, this obviously led us to Khalil Joseph who has collaborated with musicians such as Shabazz Palaces, Flying Lotus, Kendrick Lamar, as well as Beyonce in Lemonade, and produced Dreams Are Colder Than Death. These are what we call unruly archives, informal histories and lineages of our practices that are still overwhelmingly unattended. It is this type of archival practice that led us back to the jazz ensemble with a research on Barbara McCullough's Horace Taps, I'm sorry. These are, these are some of the lineages that we're following. I'll come back to it. Okay. Horace Tapscott Musical Griot, as well as a project and event titled The Visual Act of Black Hair, dedicated to award-winning and Oscar-nominated cinematographer and installation artist Bradford Young. And eventually, back around to one of Arthur Jaffe's concerns about sound, since colonization, and movement with figuring suspension and study of visual recording artist Storyboard P. This was part of a different, of a larger project, uh, a conference called Rendering the Visible Liquidity. Storyboard P is the dancer that features prominently in works by Arthur Jaffa and both Arthur Jaffa and Khalil Joseph. So part two, short. Where are we now in a theoretical term? The concept of suspension was very, was the very first public, was part of the very public statement I ever made about liquid blackness as a way to characterize the critical act we might perform in attempting to understand its contours. What if we held blackness in balance, I asked, not necessarily to sever it from its live experience, but in order to confront and come to terms with the many other ways in which it exists. This question responded to a concern for the difficult ethics of the critical operation. Liquidity, I have repeatedly claimed, functions as a pressure point. It is diagnostic and critical, descriptive and generative, equally evocative of processes of objectification, as well as expansiveness and inexhaustible generativity and potentiality. Similarly, suspension seeks to identify sites, moments, and modes where the tension between these two poles is placed at a distance or held in some form of temporary, if precarious, balance. We can see this tension in the shift in scholarship between Harry Elam's position on top, 
which inspired my first attempt about, my first statement about liquid blackness, and Moten Harney's formulation of the relationship between blackness and black people, whereby blackness is distinct from black people who nevertheless have a unique understanding of it while carrying the weight of that same understanding. These two positions can perhaps help us identify the most consequential theoretical shift liquid blackness as a concept is proposing, a shift from prescriptive ideas of a black aesthetic, black art, art has to do this, has to do that, has to be committed to this or that political project, this or that ethical project, to a shift to blackness as aesthetics, the realization that black expressive culture always theorizes what it means to be black, what it's like to live in an anti-black world and how to do it, so much so that the tools of aesthetic and formal analysis might be the most appropriate way to understand it. Part three, Khalil Joseph. In Khalil Joseph's practice, the side of aesthetic production are dispersed, often unrecognized, and yet immensely generative of imminent vernacular critical thinking about blackness itself. At first sight, it's not difficult to see why ideas of liquidity were applied to Joseph's work. The visual catsonic worlds he creates are very fluid. His work is often described in lyrical, as lyrical, surreal. His camera is rarely still, and often moves unmoored, untethered, and sometimes floating. The color schemes are soft and warm. Editing connects everyday gestures, small reactions, and some mixing is highly layered, drawing together from entire albums, and often, as he told us, from tracks that do not make it in the final version. But there is an ethics to this aesthetics that seems very unique and demands attention. This is why we came to the idea of suspension, the sense that although the worlds he creates suffer loss and pain, there is something about this filmmaking style that still keeps black bodies philosophically safe. He seems to be holding blackness in suspension, halting pr pr predictable scripts and avoiding suffocating enclosures as I indicated in the list of terms I generated for this project. As Lauren Kramer has argued in an architectural sense, suspension is the effect of lightness achieved by dispersing a structure's mass across multiple grounding points. But more poignantly, as she shows in her reading of Until the Quiet Comes, suspension might function to disjoin the very architectures of anti-blackness and I urge you to read her essay. It's, it's available online in our journal. That's the, one of the early images from Until the Quiet Comes. Joseph began experimenting with spatial disorientation from his earliest work. I, I don't have permission to show it. I didn't ask him permission to show it, so I'm going to describe it, but it's available online. This, it's, uh, it's called Belhaven Meridian, the first video he directed for Shabazz Palaces. It's shot in watts in 35 millimeter black and white film as one continuous long take. It is an homage to Charles Burnett's Kill of a Sheep. It begins with the roar of a car engine over a black screen, then a side shot of a car. A young man is at the wheel and a young woman is sitting on the roof of the car. A caption appears, him, it's time. She slides off the roof of the car and gets in the car. Her, where are we going? The camera follows them until they disappear behind a row of houses. Then it tilts to the left to frame an empty street as an attractive woman enters the frame strolling confidently in the middle of the street. Quietly and predictably, a young man approaches her and tries to make small talk. As they walk away from the camera, his step quickly conforms to her stride and their combined movement lulls at the beat of the soundtrack. As if by chance, tilting to the right, the camera picks up the reenacted shooting of a scene from Killer Sheep, which took place on the front steps of the protagonist's house. This precious glance onto the making of Burnett's film is enough to cause the camera to rotate on its axis and turn upside down. In this new world, where the top and the bottom have exchanged places, the silhouette of a young man appears running down the same street. 
The camera remains upside down and the long take continues as we see him eventually passing a floating African mask to a bike rider from a group of motorcyclists who suddenly ride through the same street. The music settles on a quieter register and the camera follows them gliding through streets progressively filling up with traffic, moving freely and almost floating effortlessly away. The answer to her question finally comes here and it's another caption. Him, wherever we want. This is one of Joseph's earliest films, but suspension is already central to it. The camera upside down in the middle of a long take upholds the world as we know it, but this does not compromise the integrity of the space. It simply makes it feel a bit more miraculous, miraculous by disrupting the experience of the ground and the forces that anchor bodies to it. Suspension features as weightlessness, but not as ungrounding, not as severance from home, experience, intimacy, or community. Propelled by the movement of various bodies in the frame, the couple in the car, the couple in the street, the lone silhouette, the camera progressively leaves behind tractions and attritions and ushers in an experience of lightness that, however, is never divorced from gravitas. Extraordinarily, the camera's nimbleness in Joseph's work always adds to the solemnity of the image. And I refer to this early film to offer a simple blueprint of the much more complex world Joseph will create later in his work. And so in what follows, I'm going to discuss three works. Mad, the short film he compiled for Kendrick Lamar's 2012 album. Good Kid, Mad City. Used to open for Kanye West's Jesus tour. Flypaper, commissioned by the Vinyl Factory, which premiered at the New Museum in New York earlier this year. And Black Mary, commissioned by the Tate to accompany Soul of a Nation, Art in the Age of Black Power. I'm interested in these three works because in them suspension emerges as the ethical approach to a liquid aesthetics and as an investigation of what might constitute blackness as aesthetics. They all share a commitment to celebrating sites of black sociality as key centers of aesthetic production. They all, in various ways, ask, where does the music come from? The ensemble is central to all, while Lamar's entire album can be seen as an answer to this question. The album cover for Good Kid Mad City is a Polaroid picture depicting a young Kendrick dangling off an uncle's knees in front of a kitchen table displaying a 40 ounce and his baby bottle. It is subtitled, a short film by Kendrick Lamar. And is punctuated by several voice, the album is punctuated by several voicemail messages, prayers, recorded banter, and in general, a remarkable amount of spoken dialogue. Khalil's film, which eventually was presented as a two screen installation titled Double Consciousness and Mocha LA, maintains a similar collage aesthetics and incorporates home videos shot by Kendrick's uncle in 1992, police footage, media clips, original to original footage, Joseph processed to match the rhythm, pace, and tone of Lamar's lyrics. So let's watch the beginning.
education, baby. Wanna reconnect with your elation. This is your station, baby. All I see is your black blind to me in my hindsight. Finally by myself. Promise me you can help in all honesty. I got time to be copacetic and tell you where finally made decision to hold me against my will. It was like a head on collision that folded me standing still. I can never pick up the difference. Perhaps the most striking feature of the sequence is the contrast between the fast pace of the first part and the sudden shifting register once the film transitions to the funeral home. Strategically out-of-focus images create an effect of liquidity. There is a visual drag and reverb in the first part, brush strokes effects obtained through high-speed photography and several visual blurs. A car is moving backwards, others are upside down. There are quick inserts with footage of police brutality, troops marching, a lynching photograph, a close-up of then-President Ronald Reagan on television, bodies falling to the ground, various types of exhilarating movement. We catch a glimpse of the first body hanging upside down from a lamppost. Oh, there it is. Which then becomes one of the kind of signature uh, images of this film. Overall, the filmic image is plastic, malleable, and yet also agitated and chaotic. Then, as the frame becomes unex unexpectedly fixed onto a predominantly white mise-en-scene, there is a sudden suspension of sound and motion. A shot taken from inside the funeral home shows a car stopping in the drive through area. A young man gets out, approaches the glass wall displaying the casket, and pays his homage in the direction of the audience. Then the film cuts to the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial and the Compton Civic Center Plaza. The camera moves slowly, almost floating, to locate itself under the structure and approaches it as a visual abstraction. Only then we hear what seem like underwater sounds and the refrain from Lamar's song, Good Kid, begins to play. The sequence is extraordinary and the effect of suspension particularly powerful. But I'm specifically compelled by the last transition whereby the camera grazes with equal sense of awe the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial and the ceiling tiles of a neighborhood gym. And in doing so, claims both as sites of political and aesthetic production of equal value. This moment of suspension makes it clear that what we have seen so far is not the adrenaline pumping grammar of action filmmaking. But if this wasn't enough, Here's another example.
What I'm interested in here uh, is the fact that the sequence seems to start with the idea that it's going to be a drive-by shooting. And then instead, what we have is 360-degree pan shot from inside of the car. So rather than choppy editing, right, it presents a complete world that has to be negotiated in its entirety. This is where it's followed then by follow movements. And eventually, we're going to follow the characters, and they're going to discover a horse in, the back, in one of the backyards. What jo Joseph adds to Lamar's album is a particular attention to syncing the image to the sounds that produce it, the bodies that animate it. As we see in the following sequence, matched to Lamar's song Backstreet Freestyle, one that begins with an ironic juxtaposition of Kendrick's dream to Martin Luther King's as an expression of a desire for expansion, duration, and prowess. If the clip is ready. Arthur Jaffa has spoken repeatedly and eloquently against the way a forced synchronization of sound and image has historically worked to straightjacket the black body's movement and the subject's imagination. Here, Joseph lets the body's already dance-like movements come to the fore, so to speak, to celebrate their intrinsic beauty and their higher design as sites of aesthetic production. Equally important, however, are the interactions that are occurring around the dancer and the way in which the, the image is made liquid by the various reflections. The conclusion of this clip speaks to something Hilton Alls, writing for The New Yorker, observed in relation to flypaper, which applies also to Lamar's music. Quote, it's as if Joseph's visual world were a vinyl record, complete with scratches that make the needle skip, thereby changing the flow of things. And in fact, in Atlanta, Joseph told us that his uh, inspiration for editing is precisely the way in which Lamar changes pace and rhythm. So this conceit is particularly evident in Flight Paper. Uh, the film weaves together very personal stories, home footage of Khalil's father who lived in Harlem at the end of his life and died of brain cancer, footage of Khalil's brother, the late Noah Davis, the founder of the Underground Museum in LA, whose wife is the daughter of Ben Vereen, the older dancer featured in the film, who was the star of Balthos' musical. Like a fever dream, the film moves freely between different formats, 35 millimeter color film, highly controlled chiaroscuro, black and white footage, and, heart, and hand, handheld video. In the process, it locates these threads of personal memory within the work of the ensemble, artists congregating and socializing in various jam sessions in Harlem Loves, including one with Ella Smith that ultimately constitutes the primary narrative line in Black Mary. The film is aesthetically inspired by the soundful photography of Roy de Carava and the equal care he devoted to musicians and everyday people in Harlem. Structurally, however, it is inspired by Chris Marker's Saint Soleil, with which it shares a series of questions about memory and forgetting. Yet, differently from Marcus' film, Flypaper, in Flypaper, the female voice over tells us, is the story of a man who lost forgetting, and thus occupies a quintessentially melancholic position. 
This is, might be one of the reasons the film is permeated by literal and figurative shadows, not to mention musicians dragging oversized instruments up and down the stairs several times. Ben Vereen is perhaps the shadow of Khalil's late father, but is in turn shadowed by a younger dancer, Storyboard P. When they engage in an extraordinary duet me way through the film, both of their faces remain in the shadow, in keeping with the Caravas, the Caravas style. That is also the case later when the montage of repercussion of percussion-heavy jam sessions in an empty Harlem loft combines with extreme close-ups of musicians' hand. I can't show you those, obviously, but I can show you some of the Caravas um, source images. Joseph has followed the Caravas suggestion that, according to Richard Ings, Photography might take the shape of improvisatory music and further amplify the shadow's ability to channel the unregulated vibrational force of black chorality. Okay, I'm gonna skip to Black Mary in the interest of time. Okay. One of the I, conceits of a flypaper is that musical composition is part of editing, but also the film talks about the way in which the city, New York City, has to be deciphered as a musical score. And so the idea of musicians and, the, and parts of the city that have to be acquire the, co the coherence of groups of instrument is still something that is very much operative in Khalil's thinking. Black Mary, he said, uh, belongs to the same uh, narrative universe. And it came about like a jam session um, with Alice Smith, who gives a hunting reworking of screaming Jay Hawkins, I put a spell on you. It hones in all the sounds of love and death. It repeats from the original song, though, only the lyrics about love, but interlaces them with the sound of death, the phone call, the barely audible exchanges suggesting disbelief, regret, and woundedness, the banging at the door, and thus introduces the fact of the loss of a loved one. For example, the flashing lights in an ambulance parked off screen illuminating the frontal shot of New York City public phones. We can show it and then I'll conclude about it.
What is perhaps more arresting in this film is the overlaying of the sound of a recording session over the image of an intimate jam session, a view of the ensemble itself producing its aesthetic political work, and how moments of suspension are nested in between transitions between the two, especially when the slow motion is such that we have almost the impression they were looking at a still image. It thus allows the film to explore the relationship between amplification and reverberation. It is important to think in this way, the film creates temporal loopholes that gesture both backwards and forward and dislocate the sound from the space of reproduction to a space where blackness functions as an unregulated generative force. A lone voice, but laden with the texture of a rich sociality that sustains it and embraces it. We see a mother with her son by the window as the film reaches its conclusion. But the last shot for me is the most, po most poignant. A couple, all dressed in white, walks toward a Harlem church in the early morning light, almost intersecting with a nurse in white scrubs, perhaps returning from a night shift, walking in the opposite direction. Black Mary 2 shows where the music comes from, but purposely displaying a detachment of the voice from the body. It also makes clear that sound always comes from somewhere else. It end, in, in its endless loop of production and reproduction, it posits an always receding origin. Here, the most pressing question must not, might not be, where does the music come from? But rather, where does the music happen? Where does it live? The film's visual and sonic reverberations always look back towards the community that it channels and it channels it. Black sociality is rich with aesthetic production. Its sites are dispersed, collective, and expensive. This is indeed a liquid blackness, pervasive, absorbent, and productive, productively slippery. It can be ethically held in suspension, as Joseph does throughout his work, but it cannot be held in place. Thank you. I want to apologize for going longer than I was planning to. Ten minutes? Yes. Yeah. If there are any questions, I would love to hear from you. Yes, please. Um, would you say that... Oh, sorry, I didn't realize that. Hey, uh, would you say there's any elements uh, within Donald Glover's This is America um, which correlate to liquid blackness as a theme? Yes. Um, yep, and would you like to like, <laughs> describe? I know there's, there's quite a Let's few, but... Else. Yeah. Um, well, actually, we are having an event this Sunday where we are, um, we're going to show it and discuss it, and Michelle Beverly, that I mentioned earlier, is going to be the main person discussing This is America. I mean... There, I mean, the, again, every object demands its own approach, so you can't just, um, but I think the way she's thinking about it, and, and, I, and I agree, is as a type of deadpan affect, right? Whereby, like, it's, it's a video that somehow lives on its surface, whereby, in a sense, you have to, there, there are several layers, so there's the violence, right? There is the, 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 so if you read it representationally, right? Uh, people have been offended by the violence that it shows, right? Because it seems to be so completely, you know, um, unapologetic about it. But then there's, there are the layers of affect that are, have to do with his performance, that have to do with his dancing, that have to do with the way in which he is re-embodying all of these archives also of caricatures, right? And, and the same, af so then again, a liquid method would say, well, this is also the same kind of... Um, I want you to get me, but I also don't want you to get me type of affect that he uses in Atlanta, right? So it's, it's also, these are also pieces that in a sense he's not making to appease anybody, right? And so, so the depth of it, how, how do you read that formally is where the work is. I don't know if that answers. Hello. Um, I wanted to ask you to maybe talk a little bit more about Mark Bradford's work because I noticed, um, you know, uh, with Arthur Jaffa and um, Joseph Khalil, and all these, they're always like the presence of the figure and Mark Bradford's work doesn't have that. It's, uh, and how can you uh, maybe talk a little bit about sort of uh, liquid blackness without the figure? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Um, I'm actually, 
working partly or beginning to, it's part of my research to work on abstraction as well. And I think there is a, a tremendous amount of contemporary artists that are going back to abstraction and especially revisiting the monochrome, right? As, as a way to reinvent, you know, revisit the black square and, and reinvent art history in a way that, you know, in a different way. Um, Mark Bradford is particularly interesting because, because his abstraction is also so rooted, you know. So the term, right, is social abstraction. I don't know how much I like it, frankly. But I think it does get to this idea of using materials that are fundamentally grounded, even though, so the, the, the commitment to materiality, the commitment to community is incredibly strong. So liquid blackness does not need the figure at all. So what, you, what you're pointing at is one of the biggest challenges, in a sense, of um, <clears throat> filmmaking and photography, that filmmaking and photography tends to demand a representational reading because it has a figure. It's very difficult to do formal readings of film and photography, whereas it's a little easier to do formal readings of abstract art because, in a sense, that's how that's its first foot forward, right? So what we're trying to do, so even though, yeah, th there is a cor current work on abstraction, or even I'm thinking a an interesting pressure point would be Kerry James Marshall, right? So he uses the figure, but in a sense, it's a reinterpretation of the monochrome, right? So how, how do you, how much depth can you, can you have in a figure that is fundamentally also flat, right? So how much movement can you have? So, so those are very interesting. But in film, film and photography has been overwhelmingly kind of prison, prisoner of the, 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 the demands of representation, the demands of the, the discourses of authenticity. And so it, it's, very, it's a little harder to do liquid blackness work in film and photography because of that reason. So in a sense, we are lucky that we have, I mean, it's, it wouldn't exist if there wasn't work like Arthur Jaffa's and Khalil Joseph's because they do something so extraordinary with it in many ways. Hello, uh, Alessandra, my name is Lanisa, and I'd like to thank you for what I thought was a really thought-provoking uh, presentation. The question I have for you is about the intersection between your theorization of liquidity and black aesthetics. It seems to me, I'm sorry, uh, the blues aesthetic. Mm -hmm. um, it seems to me that there is obvious overlap, even in um, the playing of Kendrick Lamar's video, there's the reference to uh, Amiri Baraka, and when Akao Ashun opened uh, the forum, he talked about Toni Morrison, whom we know draws upon the blues aesthetic. So I'm just really curious about the intersection between the blues aesthetic and liquidity in the way that you've imagined it. And then the second part of the question that I have has to do with this sort of African-American experience as a master narrative of blackness in the world writ large. It seems to me quite interesting to use the black American experience as a framework for a forum for opening 154. So it's a two-part question. Okay. Thanks. Okay, well, the, the blues aesthetics, this is, this is a very, very interesting question. And in fact, I think it, there are a lot of points of contact. It, liquid blackness, I think, it's, it's generationally different. And the commitment to formal analysis, it, and, it, and there are differences in emphasis. So the commitment to formal analysis is perhaps stronger. So it's not a question of, of difference in uh, epistemology in the sense that uh, there are similar ways of understanding where the art comes from, how it comes from, how aesthetic products are generated, how expressive culture is generated, right? But then it has to do with the type of analysis that we might want to do. And specifically, the, the belief, like the commitment in attending to the political work of form, that form does perform political work, right? And therefore, it should not be, um, it should be attended to. At the same time, I, I am perfectly convinced that it's also generational, just like the framework of post-practice was many ways generational as well. Um, in terms of the African-American, well, I, that's a phenomenal question. It's also a question that um, perhaps 
can be asked to, um, I mean, I, I had the same question, in fact, uh, whether, you know, whether this work, the, the, pre the presentation of this part of my work, which is about the African-American African -American artist, in, in what way it would speak to this audience or to this context. And I believe, and I mean, obviously Echo can, can speaks differently to this, I believe that the, the, the idea behind it was more methodological or it had to do with the way of the, the, the possibility of thinking about black visual culture in general and, and following unruly archives. I mean, we, we do study uh, arts of the black diaspora, even though the focus, because of limited means and limited and personal connections, we, we have been inviting and studying more closely African-American artists. Um, and because that's how you build the archives that are not built anywhere else in many ways, you know, personal conversations, oral, oral narratives, oral histories, etc. But in fact, I mean, the trajectories, I mean, we're following the trajectories where they take us. Um, and I, I believe that the, the, I mean, the gain would have been methodological rather than uh, ideological, because I do believe, I do agree with you that there is a disconnect to that extent. And it's not my intent to reinforce this master narrative at all. Yes. Okay. Time is up. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you very much, everyone, for being here. And thank you. Let's one last time for, uh, to Alessandro Rengo for a fantastic and illuminating talk. Thank you. Thank you. Um, our next talk is, um, is in half an hour. Uh, with Ati Pataruga, whose uh, show is uh, upstairs. If you haven't had a chance to see that, you can see that. Um, but also, I must ask you to uh, kind of vacate the space while we make ready for the next <laughs> talk. Um, thank you all very much for being here. Thank you. <laughs>